0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, President of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this newest episode of God, Law, and Liberty. I'm delighted to have you with me. I hope you've been tracking with me over the last several weeks in this series about restoring the ruins. And today I want to try to put some things in context about the relevance of eschatology that I've talked about for the last, I think, two or three weeks in the context of particular legal, constitutional, political issues. So you'll see why eschatology is important. You know, one of the things that I've experienced in 28 years of involvement in politics as a state senator and since then as the leader of the Family Action Council of Tennessee is that most politicians and most citizens want a quick solution to an identifiable problem. And so the time spent in thinking about what to do is is minuscule, to be honest. I think I may have said this a few weeks ago, but as long as I've been in politics and around Christian policy people and legal people, I've never seen anybody point to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and say, men, women, we're in a mess, we have to figure out a solution to the problem, so let's pull out our Bibles and make sure our doctrine of the Trinity is correct. Now, what am I referring to there? I'm referring to the fact that in Colossians chapter 2, he says, I want you to come to the full assurance of the knowledge of God, of the mystery of the Father and the Son. So we're talking here about the revelation of the mystery of the Godhead and the Trinity. And he said, because in that, in that understanding, in that knowledge are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say that so you won't be deceived. So. If we don't understand the mystery of God, who God is, and as my pastor says, and what he has done, then we will not get a grip on the problems that are facing us and knowing what to do. So I'm kind of on the horns of a dilemma that I'll share with you in politics relative to this question of what should be done and how my evaluation of that is affected by my eschatology. Now I'm going to tell you right up front we're not going to get through everything that that pertains to this dilemma today and uh, eschatology, but I want to give it a, a good start. So here's the context of the problem. Right now there is pending before Congress something called the respect for marriage Act. Christian organizations and policy organizations are all hepped up opposing this bill, and they should. Now, hear me. I'm saying they should. But their opposition to that bill, I believe, needs to be put in a particular context that will ultimately flow into our understanding of eschatology and into a bigger question that I want to to pose to you today beyond this issue of the Respect for Marriage Act. Now, let me explain the act as I understand it. I read it a few weeks ago. There could have been some amendments added to it that I'm not familiar with. But what it said was that, in sum, the the major part of it is that marriage, for federal law purposes, will now be understood to be the definition relative to each state. Now, let me explain that that is actually what the federal law was prior to 1994. The federal law, and particularly we're familiar with the tax law with marital deductions and the state tax and income tax marital deductions, always deferred to the state's definition of marriage. Of course, prior to 1994, Every state's definition of marriage was, it's a male and a female, but that began to be questioned in Hawaii, was the first place, where perhaps uh, the Supreme Court of Hawaii said it's a discrimination to not issue marriage licenses to two people of the same sex. So as a result of that, it was taking place in Hawaii in 1993, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act that said, well, whatever the state wants to do for state law purposes, For federal law purposes, marriage is a man and a woman. Yay, good. Now, we come to 2013, and in a case called United States versus Windsor, the Supreme Court was asked about the constitutionality of the Defense of Marriage Act. This is 2013. The court held that it was unconstitutional, and interestingly, for this reason. The court noted, that Congress had always deferred to the definition of marriage in the 50 states, and it noted by 2013 that some states now defined marriage as any two people. Now that obviously wasn't the state of the law in 1994. All states at that time defined marriage as a man and a woman. But the bill was passed in anticipation of the possibility that states would begin redefining marriage for state law purposes. That's why they enacted the Defense of Marriage Act. So the Supreme Court said, because you've historically, Congress, deferred to the state's definition of marriage, in essence, what really motivated you was a bigotry and a hostility against same-sex couples. And that is not a legitimate ground for passing a federal law and therefore The Defense of Marriage Act cannot be enforced, and as a result, for federal law purposes, marriage was once again whatever the state happened to define it to be. And that's been the case since 2013, nine years ago. So in essence, what is now happening is that the Respect for Marriage Act would repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, which says, Marriage is only a man and a woman. But it's repealing an act that the Supreme Court has already said is not enforceable, okay? So the Respect for Marriage Act essentially returns to the law as it was prior to 1994. For federal government purposes, marriage will be whatever the law is in a particular state. So if the same-sex marriage is recognized in California, then the federal government will recognize that federal marriage. If it's not recognized in Tennessee then uh, you know same-sex marriage would not be recognized if uh, somebody from California moved here uh, assuming Tennessee uh, didn't authorize same-sex marriage. I hope that's clear uh, what's going on here. Now the reason I believe that the Democrats want to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act is their concern that Obergefell versus Hodges which was in 2015, two years after United States Windsor. And and that's the case in which the Supreme Court said not with respect to federal law, but with respect to state law, you can't limit the issuance of licenses for marriage to a man and a woman. So the Democrats are concerned if Obergefell is ever reversed by the Supreme Court, well, then if the Defense of Marriage Act is not repealed, that would be the federal law on the books and would the reversal of Obergefell versus Hodges necessarily lead to the reversal of the United States versus Windsor and if Windsor is reversed then oops all of a sudden federal law says I don't care that you have the same-sex marriage in California for federal income tax and estate tax purposes you're not married you can't get a deduction can you see why the, the Democrats would not want to leave that law on the books. I get it. Now, to me the bill is, is a bad idea because it would for the first time be an act of Congress itself to give its approval to a marital relationship defined without regard to man and woman. But we have to appreciate that that's what the federal government has been doing since 2013 anyway. And the rules and regulations for the various departments and for the Internal Revenue Code already do what's in the Respect for Marriage Act. So what Christians are upset about Congress doing is what the federal government has been doing since 2013 without Any objection from Christian organizations. I mean there have been spot objections but nobody has tried to come up with any legislation that would limit or reverse or cabin uh, Obergefell versus Hodges or or United States versus Windsor. So there's a sense in which you could say we've kind of really given up the moral high ground to complain about the federal government treating two men or two women as married. Now again it's one thing for the departments and the regulations and all that to do it, it's another thing for an act of Congress to do it. But from a moral principle standpoint, Christians have been content with what the federal government's been doing since 2013. In counterpoise to that, in Tennessee, I tried to bring a bill that would, would address Obergefell and the idea that the Supreme Court cannot change a state statute on marriage. And in any event, government didn't create marriage and dole it out based on licenses. That marriage between a man and a woman is a real thing. It's true to the nature of the universe, the cosmos, and reality that men and women come together into committed relationships that, that are marital in nature. They're not leasing each other. They're not renting each other, okay? They're not providing goods and services to each other. It's a marital kind of arrangement. And, and so the Marital Contract Recording Act that I offered to the Um, legislature here said a man and a woman can get married without having to get a permission from the government claiming its jurisdiction over this marital relationship and instead of getting a license they can go to the courthouse and file an affidavit swearing to the public in front of the public that they have taken each other as husband and wife and the the affidavit then serves as the proof of the marriage to interested third parties instead of the license okay Now, not one of these national groups that are all upset about the Respect for Marriage Act supported or lended any aid to the passage of this Marital Contract Recording Act. So what we have here taking place is is a fight against the evil, let's say, of the Respect for Marriage Act without any effort to fight for the good of an understanding of marriage That is a man and a woman that pre-exists any act by the government. Now, why is this important? Well, we are told to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you. So the Christian position has sort of become over, over time, and I'm talking about over the last 50 years, not just this one particular issue, is pass a law to stop the bad without trying to couch the bad that is trying to be stopped in light of the positive good of what marriage really is. What marriage really is, is what gives context for the understanding of why we would oppose the Respect for Marriage Act, but we don't want to say that. We want to say it's about bad for religious liberty. Uh, It's gonna bring uh, persecution against Christians and all those sorts of things because obviously that generates sympathy for people that could care less about God and God's order of the universe or any truth about human persons. So I get it, they're they're just trying to do what practically would work to kill a bad bill. But you you see, what Jesus condemned was the Pharisees who were good at putting parameters around the good To diminish the good and so as long as you stayed away from uh, doing this kind of work on the Sabbath as long as you swore by the temple but not the gold on the temple or whatever it was or as long as you did this or that you could relieve yourself of your positive commitment to care for your your parents you see what I'm saying so so the Pharisees had a very negative view of law righteousness is not doing these things, but there's a positive righteousness. So Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you ain't got it. You don't understand what the deal is. So so you see, we have this situation here where I, I want to tell Christians, oppose this bill, but understand that we've been asleep at the switch since 2013, while all this has been taking place And all we're really complaining about is a transfer of this law from the Supreme Court decision and rules and regulations to an act of Congress. But an act of Congress that, to be honest, is consistent with what the Supreme Court has said, which is what we've accepted, and of course the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, right? Even over what Congress passes. But we don't want to go over here and actually propose the good. This is marriage. You can have your licenses. You can have your government created, non-real, non-true-to-the-nature-of-the-cosmos understanding of marriage, but there is a real view of marriage that government is obligated to acknowledge exists and to protect and preserve by enforcing the commitments between a man and a woman. So, based on my eschatology, I could say the best we can hope to do in this world is to stop the bad to stop the evil but a different eschatology that says God is in fact renewing all things and regenerating all things and has ushered in his kingdom in which he's now the king and we've been transferred into his kingdom we want to to encourage and move forward the good because we have an expectation and a hope for the future that marriage as man and woman, will once again be recognized and and acknowledged, and its beauty and its goodness will, you might say, cast shade on other understandings of marriage. Now, I'm going to put this in in an even different context. In the Tennessee Constitution, it says in its Declaration of Rights, and I suspect every state constitution has a declaration of rights, sort of a bill of rights under the state. But Tennessee said this, that all power is inherent in the people. Now I have Christian friends who like to cite that when they go up to battle against their elected officials who don't want to do what the people want to do, to say all power is inherent in the people and you're violating my rights in this Tennessee constitution. But I've tried to say to some of them and their leaders, do you understand that thing on which you rely is blasphemy. All power is not inherent in the people. All power is inherent in God. All authority rests in God. And God decides how, over the course of history, to allow that power to be exercised in the realm of civil government. He establishes offices of civil government. And he can establish them under different forms of government which as long as the rulers are righteous would be a righteous government so here's my point about that would a christian today working in the area of public policy set as his or her goal removing that provision from the tennessee constitution or not just removing it make it the goal to put us in its place a positive declaration that all power and authority is found and rests in God and God alone. Now, if your eschatology is one of pessimism, that everything is supposed to get worse in the last days, and we're in the last days, then David, why would you even make that an objective? Because we aren't going to be here long enough for that to ever come true. You're just wasting your time and you're wasting people's money to to set that as an objective. And I suspect if people are consistent with the eschatologies they're generally being taught today, that's what I would hear. Now, what they might say is, well, obedience would demand that, that we make that objective, but it's really kind of futile, David, because, uh, you know, again, oh, we're not going to be here long enough to see that happen, but but it's a good idea, and, and you know, they pat me on the head and say, you're a really nice boy, and, well, there goes Don Quixote, right? But if you think that, that we're not in the last days as in Jesus' is coming back at any time based on what's going to happen in Russia and Israel and Turkey and Iraq or Iran and, and that we may be generations away, then you would say, yes, that would be a great goal. And here's why this is important. Because what I now need to do in the realm of politics today is begin looking for those opportunities to bring forward legislation that would build toward that. So that as the law becomes our moral tutor, as it talks about in Galatians, as law has its pedagogical effect, even as it has over the last hundred years in, in depriving us of our moral imagination. It would begin to restore it. So so here's what I would say. Yes, I, I do not want to see Congress pass this uh, bill, right? But I want to pursue the good of marriage with the first step that I can take, which is to say, have your license law, but the law must also recognize That a man and a woman can marry by virtue of their commitments to each other and the government's function is to make sure there's a way they can prove it 30 years from now and that's what the Marital Recording Act is. Now the Christian Republicans in Tennessee so far have not supported it but I'm going to keep pressing on it and talking about it and talking to pastors about it and you can talk to it to your legislators in your state and your pastors in your state because this bill can 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 go in any state it's not unique to Tennessee. But you see, I'm not just pursuing marriage. I'm not just pursuing an opposition to same-sex marriage with the Marital Contract Recording Act. I'm pursuing a positive understanding of marriage that rests on an understanding of law, that there is a law that precedes any law of man, that is not dependent on the existence of any man, And does not come from any person and that is a way to begin moving people to an understanding that yes there is a law and a lawgiver and it is God and it is his authority that we exercise on earth and maybe 50 maybe a hundred maybe 200 years from now the thing I'm working on today will bear that fruit but if my eschatology is one of despair and hopelessness and the world is coming to an end and Jesus is coming back anytime soon, I would just pass the marriage bill and I would have no expectation, no hope that I'm actually building and progressing towards something even bigger and better that grasps even more of the ethical imagination of people. Do you see how eschatology influences, how we think about current political situations and legislation? I hope you do. And next week, we're going to come back and look at some scripture that would say, indeed, when we look at the sweep of history and we take ourselves out of this nanosecond of time, when everything looks despairing and gloom and headed to an end, we can see that optimism encouragement, and hope over the long period is our heritage from God. And I'll hope you join me next week for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.factennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.